two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon and I'm excited to have you join me today. We've got an interesting show for you because it's something that affects all of you, no matter who you are or how you live. Today we're covering the media itself. My guest considers the media the fourth estate of government. So yes, if you weren't aware, there is a group operating as a fourth branch of our government. The media, well, it's criticized by both sides of the aisle, but it takes someone who's been actually on the inside and both sides of the inside, for that matter, to really break it down for us. Let's get right to it, because there is certainly a lot to cover here. My guest today is journalist and media critic who has been working at, well, he's worked at CNN, Fox News, NBC, and The Blaze. So this is quite an array of media. He authors the Fourth Watch Media Newsletter, hosts the Fourth Watch Podcast, and is the executive producer of The Megan Kelly Show. Steve Krakauer, author of Uncovered, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tudor, great to be here. It is great to have you. Now, this new book that you have, Uncovered, you're not trying to burn down the media. You're just telling us what's really going on behind the scenes, right? Absolutely, yeah. Look, I, I'm someone who believes that, as you mentioned, the fourth estate, we need a strong press, an institutional press. I think we have lots of strong independent media out there, which is great, um, and the rise of podcasts and Substack and YouTube, there's a lot of opportunities, and, and, I, and I'm glad for that. I think that, that more choice is better for the American people. But in a perfect world, we have really strong institutional press as well that speaks truth to power, that holds power accountable, and isn't cozy with power. Instead, is is really a check on power. We don't have that. And I can say, you know, you mentioned CNN. I was at CNN 2010 to 2013. It was not that long ago, but it feels like ages ago because really in the subsequent years, 2014, 2015, it just completely went off the rails, not just CNN, but the entire corporate media over the last seven years. And there was valid criticism before, but something fundamental has changed. And so I think it was really important to document what happened, why did it happen, and and, and really trying try to tell the readers and to tell the audience 
and potential news consumers in the future, here are the red flags. Here's what you need to look for because this is what happened and now you know what to look for down the road when it happens again because it will. I've heard the news kind of described as infotainment and I want to get to that because we now have a 24-hour news cycle. So that was just something that sort of started in the last 20 years, I'd say. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember my parents watching the evening news and that was where they got their news. When you have 24 hours of news, doesn't there have to be some just kind of shows and commentation and not necessarily journalism going on all of the time in those 24-hour news cycles? Absolutely. I, I think the incentive structure has changed also. So, yes, I think even when I was there you know, 10, 15 years ago, the there was there's this 24-hour news cycle. And, yes, things move fast. Get something wrong. Oh, it's gone by the next day. We're on to the next story. Uh, you know, lots of in, in, more entertainment. What what were the incentives that are driving it? Oh, you know, this is fun. This will get ratings. This will get clicks. There's a lot of that happening. But but now with the introduction of social media and particularly Twitter, these things move within hours. You know, what something that's bubbling up for an hour can be gone. You know, a, a little bit later, and that really leaves room for what I call glance journalism. We get an initial story about mm-hmm. lots of different things, whether it's political or cultural or just some random story that you find out in the news and then it's gone and the way it was originally covered which oftentimes whether it's a mistake whether it's intentional is wrong something has left the audience with a bad impression and then maybe down the road it gets corrected we see it on a big scale like with the hunter biden laptop we see it on small scale with so many stories that i lay out and uncovered and that really, really hurts the audience because they are not served by a, a, a media that is so interested in getting that initial coverage, that initial burst, and then moving on to the next thing. It really harms the... the well, can't, uh, yeah. can't this really impact the entire country? Because, I mean, you bring up the Hunter Biden laptop, and I, I kind of want to go through that for just a second because this comes up... This is the October, we call this the October surprise, right? This comes out, this is potentially going to change the election. The October surprise gets gobbled up and pulled off of all of the media lines. Everybody says you can't talk about it. Not only does it get removed, if you talk about it, you are demonized. This is bad. You can't talk about this. But now, fast forward to two, two and a half years later, we see President Xi meeting with Putin talking about what they're going to do to make peace. And I have to use air quotes when I say that in the world, because this is really looking like world domination. And you have a president in the United States that, according to this laptop, is quite possibly compromised by the Chinese government. What does that mean when you see media take a turn like that? It's a really important moment, I think. It was a bit of a turning point. I I, I write a lot in the book about the Trump era and a lot of the the mistakes that were made, a lot of the problems, why they happened 2015 to 2020. But I really do think that that Hunter Biden laptop story was the end of that era and the beginning of an even worse era that we've seen since then, uh, which I think is really built around anti-speech activism, censorship, and the press, the media, the ones that should be about free speech and about free expression, being part of the collusion racket that goes between tech platforms, the censors at the, at the center of this, government agencies, intel agencies, and the media themselves that worked together for it. Because yes, as you say, there was a time, it was, it was unprecedented. You could not share a link to the New York Post. And that was 
completely ridiculous. We now know, thanks to the Twitter files, why that happened. But as I detail in the in the book, uh, as I, I really went back and looked at exactly what happened, journalists would share this story, you know, to the New York Post and say, oh, I question the sourcing about this. Or, huh, I wonder if the Biden campaign will respond to this. And they were locked out of their Twitter accounts because they shared it. And then they, rather than saying, this is completely ridiculous, the New York Post are our colleagues. No, they deleted their tweet. They apologized for daring to link to this story. They were, they were pilloried. They were trending on Twitter as, as MAGA you know, uh, journalists. These New York Times reporters just sharing a link to it. That was an embarrassing moment. And it really began this, this drift towards censorship. And, we, and whether it's political whether it's related to COVID and this kind of, uh, you know, consensus, we can't uh, go against the science consensus, which obviously we now know is completely wrong. They were in on it. And that hurts Americans. I mean, we, we need a press that cares about the free exchange of ideas. There are people who would say part of this is Trump's fault because he went after the media so hard. But on the flip side of that, I think most people had this overwhelming trust for the media regardless before Trump was president. And then he started to say, hey, wait, this is happening. This is happening. And everybody said, no, he's he's nuts. He's nuts. And then all of a sudden that really actually started to come true. Yes, they were spying on him. Remember that when they yeah. said, oh, this is, he's crazy. He thinks they're spying on him. Yes, they are. I mean, going through a campaign myself, I saw similar things. They would put something out. Like, to your point, you said, well, a story can go out and then the next day it disappears or it can be wrong and there's nobody correcting it. I mean, we had that happen multiple times and it really shaped the entire campaign in the state of Michigan. I had an interview where I was asked, you know, what do you think about if a 14 year old ended up getting pregnant? And I said, that's the perfect example of why it would be so dangerous to eliminate parental consent. That journalist cut that took out why I said that and, and and put together, that's the perfect example. A life is a life. She has to have that baby. And this was a total lie. It framed the entire campaign in Michigan. And ultimately, I believe that is what allowed her to win the state back and look at the state of Michigan today. We have no businesses coming here. We're giving money to the Chinese Communist Party. We've just found out that giving money to this company, they are going to have a grassroots organization in the state of Michigan that will be beholden to the Chinese Communist Party and helping the Chinese Communist Party in the state of Michigan. This is really shocking discoveries that we're having. And this is all because, really, I believe the media is able to create a story that's not there and burn people down. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's a great example because it is this sign of, in the old days, and I mean the old days like 15, 20 years ago, I can tell you a lot of the media leaned left. They were, they were, they, when they voted, they voted for Democrats. That existed. But there was also this sense of, unlike any other occupation, you are supposed to essentially hide your personal feelings for the good of the job that you're doing. Be objective. That's the goal. And so, yes, you're, they're fighting against their own personal biases, but they know that that be telling the story the right way, telling it correctly, was the only thing that mattered. You get it right, you're doing a good job. You get it wrong, you're doing a bad job. That was all that mattered. But that has completely changed now. It is, it is no longer about right and wrong and getting it correct or not getting it correct. It's about narrative and it's about what's acceptable 
versus what's unacceptable. Because you just give that example of the journalist. If they gave it the full context, if they actually told what actually happened in that quote, they might get attacked by their peers on Twitter, for example, for daring to give a nuanced take on on, uh, on what your answer was. They The incentives of that, and it, I can tell you, getting yelled at by 50 people on Twitter, if, you, if you're not really self-aware that this is just a small bubble of people, can feel like a lot. And so in, in Uncovered, I actually talked to one of the founders of, uh, or the founder of the, the Rap, a, a media outlet, who says she has seen her own reporters move away from a story or cover a story in a different way or not cover it at all because of the fear of the backlash they might get on Twitter. I mean, that is a really scary mm. time right now. And that means that, yes, we now get narrative. We now get what's acceptable over what's actually correct and what's actually right. That is bizarre to me, the power of Twitter. And I think that we've seen that change over time as well. You talk about influencers in your book. We have this now. We're seeing this on the DeSantis Trump side, these influencers coming in. This is a very small world. I think the majority of my friends who want nothing to do with politics or just simply don't pay attention to it have no idea what's happening on Twitter. But that Twitter narrative can influence the media. And so I think that it seems like a bigger space than it is because there can be things that happen on Twitter that become news. So how do you break through the influencers? Because they're clearly, they are biased, but they are creating news. So how does that, how do you break through that and make sure that the news you're receiving is actual news? Yeah, it's 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 a challenge because, yeah, as you mentioned, first of all, you know, the, the, the journalists are sort of the influencers themselves. They treat Twitter like it's their mm-hmm. personal diary. And yet it's one of the reasons I actually like Twitter and appreciate it because we can now see for the first time behind the curtain. We can see what they're really thinking, even if some of their journalism is, is good. We actually know what they're really thinking, even not, not necessarily even about the topics that they're covering, but just in general. And it's embarrassing. I mean, if if any other occupation, I mean, if, if you're you know an accountant who does your taxes was tweeting constantly about January 6th being the next 9-11, you would be like, this is something's wrong with this person. But, but now the journalists, it's just like game for what they do now. It's part of their whole mo and that is really that's that's really embarrassing but i do think so we can't rely on the media outlets themselves to self-correct here you know the gatekeepers are not going to get better anytime soon so i think what you have to know is be self-aware of what's happening where these things are bubbling up and all and know that it i have a stat in the book two percent of all Americans account for 90% of the tweets when it relates to politics and news. I mean, that is a Hmm. minor, minor figure. And so that's not important. What's important is finding outlets that you trust, probably at this point on the independent side, finding people that you trust, and relying on them to give it to you straight. Because, yeah, we, we the influencers on Twitter, the people that are, that are making so much, the amplifying, just the small voices there, that is not going to to move the needle and that's not reflective of the country either you talk about not wanting to eliminate people from the conversation you want to add folks because legacy media seems to be going in a certain direction sometimes it's hard to tell we certainly saw that during covid we saw these reporters coming out and really i mean they were demonizing people if you decided you didn't want the vaccine if you didn't want to wear a mask you were not it wasn't just that you had a different medical opinion for yourself you were a murderer i mean they were out there saying things that were just horrendous and and it's interesting to me because recently my daughter had covid and i and she'd never had it before so she's 13 and and we tested her and i said oh you've got it 
and that she burst into hysterical tears. I can't have this. I can't have this. And I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about what that narrative over the last two years has done to kids because she immediately felt like there's something wrong with me and I can't let anybody know and I can't be this person that could do this to other people. And I said, you know, calm down. This is you're going to you're going to be fine. You just have to stay home for a few days and you'll get through this and we'll be fine. But the fear that this created and really I, I feel like that goes directly back to the way the media talked about it and the discourse that was created amongst parents and schools and just communities of people who said, I'm hearing this from a trusted source. But then, you know, two years down the road, we find out, well, actually, we're not really sure if masks did anything. The vaccines weren't as effective as we thought they were going to be. Staying home wasn't effective for kids because they they didn't end up learning anything. What is your advice to people when they're looking at these situations and going, I really, I don't know, I I want more people in this conversation, but are some of the uh, new people coming in and clouding it too? Because the anger is so, I mean, it's become a lot of rage when you look at the new voices that come in, they're mad. And, And the clickbait, because the matter you are, the more radical you are, the more people are like, yeah, that's affirming what I'm saying, so I'm gonna follow that person. Yeah, it's it really. I, I spent a lot of time on COVID in Uncovered because I do think it was this crucial moment where you would think certain stories I write about are kind of funny and silly in the book, but this was something that really mattered to people's lives. And I, I understand March, April, May, twenty twenty, the media getting certain things wrong, not understanding it. This was the totally new situation. Right. I understand that there was some mistakes that were made, but the problem was a they were never corrected. But also, as you mentioned, they completely excluded certain people and voices from the conversation and not just yours or mine, but Dr. Jay Bhattacharya I talked to in the book. This is someone, a Stanford medical doctor who was one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that simply argued that we should have some focused protection of the elderly. We shouldn't lock down everyone and that we should focus on that. It was an alternate opinion. And he was demonized, not just by Dr. Fauci's of the world, which we've learned now in, in leaked emails, but by the press themselves who were treating him as if he was this quack and it was this dangerous person who was going to get everybody killed. And we see this, as you mentioned, with every single story. And it doesn't even matter that, yes, lockdowns, masks, vaccines, the people that were called the crazy conspiracy theorists have essentially become right. It doesn't even matter. Even if they were still wrong, this is a time when we need to have conversation. This is a time when we need debate and dialogue and nuance and there was this sense of almost paternalism. Like, we can't tell you the nuance of this because we don't know if you'll do the right thing with that information. That's really dangerous. And I quote in the book, uh, Nate Silver from ABC, who is one of the mainstream journalists I actually really respect, particularly on COVID, who said he was referring to the lab leak. But I think this re- relates to all of these COVID stories, lockdowns, schools, where he says if there's two sides of an argument and there's information on both sides and there's evidence on both sides and there's experts on both sides, but only one side wants to lock down the conversation, wants to police the discourse, that side is usually wrong. So that's what you should look for. If there's two an argument going mm. on and well, one side says, let's shut the other side up, that side is something you should be very, very cautious about. Obviously, we look at COVID and we think, uh, well, I think that 
You saw the breakdown and the lack of trust in the media once you started to have the president come out and say fake news and all of these things, and people started to get very, very concerned. But that was really only one side. The other side was like, no, 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 we're, we're right, we're right. But then you did see people start to peel off during COVID. And on both sides, I think people started to peel off. But what about the the violence that has ensued? And I really do believe that there is some culpability on the part of the media when they are saying, yeah, go out and protest. And then on the flip side there, well, if you're part of this group and you're protesting, then you should be, you know, attacked and you should be pushed aside and you should be put in jail. And this has created this, this real, I guess I would say, um, the, you see a breakdown in the country. You see a breakdown in relations among uh, people, whether you're conservative or liberal or where you live. How, how do you think that the media should be handling those situations? Yeah, they're, they're certainly not doing a good job right now. I think, I think that this is one of those areas where you see the hypocrisy so vast. I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time on January 6th in the book, but I, I frankly think there's a whole book to be written about just the media and how they cover what happened on January 6th and what's happened in the years since, their obsession with it, and not just with an event and not just in how it relates to President Trump, but in how the media themselves, the corporate press, has turned a bad riot into an attack on half the country. Uh, they have successfully done that, and I think it is so so obvious and so wrong and yes, you compare that to the way that they covered like the social justice protests and the riot offshoots, which I do write about in chapter one, because I actually think this is where it all started. Um, I, I, mm. I go back to 2014 in Ferguson and the way that that story we, we learned about, you know, hands up, don't shoot. And that was what Michael Brown said to Darren Wilson before he was shot and murdered. That was all untrue. I mean, not just the fact that he was shot and murdered I mean, because he was com Darren Wilson was completely cleared. No racial animus from that person. This was all happened a year later by the Obama Justice Department. But the words hands up, don't shoot were never even said. That was, it was confirmed by multiple witnesses. And yet the media never went back and corrected their coverage about it. No, instead, they said hands up, don't shoot doesn't matter really if it was said or not. It became this rallying cry for a new movement. I mean, they, the, their deference to the narrative over the facts, that's where I think it all began. And we see it with the social justice protests of 2020 and beyond. <clears throat> it's, that's a real problem. And, that, and that's also why I think that as I lay out and uncovered, here's what happened, but here's what to look for in the future, because this is going to continue to happen. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is, quote, worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets, so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash tutor. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. There does seem to be a defense of certain, I guess, that w- when people have been accused of crimes, there's been a defense. I would even pick on the Breonna Ter- Taylor story because nobody really gave the backstory of what that was. Here she was. She was the financial operator in a drug organization. They had been selling drugs all through um Louisville, Kentucky. She had had a dead body found in her vehicle. There were probably multiple overdose deaths that had been connected to her her organization. And they were trying to bust these people who were actually incredibly dangerous folks in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. That was another one where really we never heard the backstory and how dangerous that group really was. Why do you think it is that we're not hearing the full story in certain cases? I think there's a couple of reasons. I, I think that on one level there's there's a general laziness in a lot of, with a lot of the media and incompetence. I, I think that they're they would rather tell a story in the easiest way possible and and not tell a nuanced and complicated story that that requires more work. Um, so I do think that there's an element of that. But that one is an example, Brianna Taylor, or a lot of these cases. I do think that there is a sense of distrust in the public. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the trust that the public has in the media. And as you mentioned, every poll shows it at all time lows, um, not just among the right, but among independents. Uh, I saw a stat only a couple months ago of TV news, trust in TV news, 8% of Republicans trust TV news and 8% of independents trust TV news. I mean, that's where we are right now in the country. Hmm. But it's wow. part of it is a reaction to the trust that the media has in the public. Because yes, if the media trusted their own audience more, if the corporate press said, I, I, I believe my audience is smart and can understand that there are these, these stories are complicated and nuanced and not so cut and dry and black and white, they would give a lot more credence to telling the full picture. But instead, they don't. 
They, they just say, we need to just tell it in the easiest way possible, in a way that's not going to get us Twitter backlash, and they move on to the next thing. I'd say it's hard on both sides because you see one side is saying, well, we believe this. One side is saying we believe that. And there's misinformation that comes out regardless. There's always going to be because you learn. I mean, part of journalism is learning the story as you go. And so that's the part where I think that a lot of us have said, well, once you've learned the story, you haven't come back and said there's more to this. We want to expand on it. That's the part that I think that we've been missing. And honestly, campaigning for a year and a half of my life, I saw this on the Republican side. I'm, I was a Republican candidate, so I saw this where people would come up to me, and they were all, oh, what about this and this? And I would have to say, no, you know, that didn't actually happen. Let me kind of break this down for you. And some people would, you know, understand or, or would say they're going to go research it. And some people were so bought into that that story that that was affirmed in their heart, you know, they believed this, it was affirmed, and they went forward with it. And I I mean, I think that's human nature. But obviously, it's always nice to have folks like you who have been behind the scenes and been on both sides to say, yeah, this is hard. But I think part of it is hard because you are human. And, and these, like you said, these people have always had some bias. But they've been trained to try to keep that out. But really, at the end of the day, you're asking humans to report on stories, and that happens, right? It does, yeah. And and I do think, so two things I play. First of all, I understand the inclination of people on both sides right now to say, to be so distrustful of, uh, but particularly, I think, on the right, distrustful of the supposed objective media that they dig their heels in even more. I, I think it's a natural reaction that comes when when they're, they've been spun for so much. But I write that misinformation is the tax we pay for freedom. You know, there, I, I, it's become this dirty mm-hmm. word. Yeah. But yeah, if, if we, we have the freedom of the exchange of ideas, we're not going to we, we don't need only the, the true information that's been fact checked by thousands of people, because first of all, that's probably going to be wrong anyway. But second of all, like that, this is part of the discourse. It's part of just being an American mm. is we get to have these kinds of conversations. And sometimes it's right. Usually it is. Hopefully it is. But sometimes it's not. And that's OK. We'll correct it. That's that's how it should be. But that's not obviously the way the media treats it now. But the other thing about it is objectivity is no longer the goal in a lot of these situations. I, I quote a New York Times reporter very candid with me. Everyone is on the record in the book uh, in Uncovered. And she tells me that for some people, the young journalists, objectivity is akin to white supremacy. And so when you have that in newsrooms now, wow. that, that is a huge problem. And that's going to pretend a lot of issues down the road. If we let the people that believe objectivity is white supremacy win out and get jobs and start to control these newsrooms, that's where we're going to get. But I think I love what you said about misinformation can be demonized because that is really what America is, that you can go out and you can speak and that you can have that discourse and and conversation. And we've gotten so far away from conversation. And I think that initially... I believe that social media was created for conversation, and it sort of has destroyed the ability to talk to one another. That's why I love the fact that I get to do this podcast, and I feel really honored that I get to be a part of the Clay and Buck Network so that I can get out there and talk to folks like you who can say, look, it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but it is American, and that is as perfect as you can get, I believe, in this world. So I appreciate what you had to say. Tell people where they can get Uncovered. Thanks, Judy. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you can find Uncovered, readuncovered.com, readuncovered.com. You can find the, the book, the audio book. You can hear from the people themselves. Lots of people, Tucker Carlson, others at Fox, uh, other mainstream journalists actually say their quotes in their words as well. 
That's what I love, too, because you're talking, like you said, you have New York Times reporters in there. You're talking to both sides. This is not one-sided. People get to see what the behind-the-scenes of the media really is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was the goal. Two dozen people all across the industry. There are some good ones, even at these outlets. They often get sh- overshadowed by the loudest, most annoying voices on Twitter that in their organizations. But uh, But there are some good ones, and they've got some good ideas on how we can fix this. So the message is, even though we get frustrated with the media, we are blessed to have a free press in the United States. Steve Krakauer, thank you so much. Author of Uncovered, go out and get the book because you're going to learn a lot and you might be a little less angry after you read it. Or maybe you're a little more angry. I don't know. But (laughs) thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Tudor. Appreciate it. And thank you all for joining me on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. For this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there and make sure you join me next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a great day. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator. Generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.